For so many of us, the last year and a half has meant a lot of time shut in at home. For so long, events were shut down, parties were canceled, there was nowhere to go and no one to see after work or on the weekends. There were few places to travel, and we all suddenly had a whole lot of time on our own or with our families. This environment is not so different from the environment in which one of our favorite pastimes and cultural icons came to life. In World War II England, so many would-be parties and events didn't happen, and nighttime air raid precautions pushed people inside their homes whenever possible. So very similar to the lockdowns we've recently experienced, people were spending a lot of time entertaining themselves at home. In 2020, I'm sure we all noticed that puzzles and games were flying off the shelves and eventually became impossible to find as people frantically searched for ways to entertain themselves and their children. And so, eight decades ago, a young married couple sat in their cozy living room, but instead of playing a board game, they created one. This is the story of The Women of Clue, the murder mystery game that has captured our imagination for generations. The idea for the game was developed by Anthony Pratt, but this is the story of the three women without whom the game would never have graced our living room floors and dining room tables, and its story would never have been told. I'm Kristen, and this is Broadly Underestimated, the podcast dedicated to understanding the underestimated aspects of our lives. Every object, institution, historical event, even the most mundane, has its own revolutionary story. And it's often the underestimated women behind those stories that have shaped life as we know it today. So a while back, I fell into a Google rabbit hole, and before I knew it, I was reading about my favorite childhood board game, Clue. So for any of you out there who somehow haven't played Clue, it's a murder investigation game where all the players are suspects of a murder taking place in a country mansion. And the murder is committed using one of six murder weapons that just happens to be casually lying around the house. Using some deductive reasoning skills, each player plays detective to figure out who committed the murder, in what room, and with what weapon to win the game. Now, despite this pretty utilitarian description, Clue as a game is magical. There's so much ambiance in the beautiful board alone, which is a floor plan of a fancy, elegant mansion, and all the characters have these incredible personas, and the weapons are easily recognizable, and many of them can be found in most homes. The whole thing is this beautiful pull into the nostalgia of this well-to-do British life lived in ballrooms and conservatories and old libraries. So I'm reading about how Clue surfaced out of wartime Britain, and then I come across one line that made the record in my head scratch to a stop. It said that the inventor's wife, Elva, had designed the board. And I was like, um, what? But there was nothing else. That was it. So, of course, I descended further into my rabbit hole to search for anything I could find about her, but there was nothing. There were just similar short references in other articles indicating that she had designed the board, and that was it. Now, I don't know about you, but my favorite part of the game has always been the board. As a kid, I would stare at the rooms and imagine myself walking through them and taking the secret passageways. The board was the foundation of the whole game, and it was a woman named Elva Pratt who created it. Now, before we zero in on Elva, I want to zoom out a bit and talk about Clue in general. As I mentioned earlier, it was created by a man named Anthony Pratt. During the war, he was assigned to work long, monotonous days in a munitions factory where he frankly had a whole lot of time to mull over this brilliant idea. And then he had those quiet evenings at home to mull it over some more. 
So Anthony Pratt's concept and game design changed the world of board games and pastimes forever. And he absolutely deserves credit for this. I know that I'm very thankful, but I also want to talk about the women of Clue. And no, I'm not talking about the female characters in the game. I'm talking about the women whose ideas, support, and designs made Clue what it is today. So this whole thing starts with the popular rise of two things, a parlor game named Murder and crime fiction. Anthony Pratt had spent years immersed in crime stories. He loved crime fiction, but when he was working as a professional pianist, he had some sustained exposure to it. He spent a portion of his music career as a resident pianist on transatlantic cruise ships. And so as I'm sure all of us can remember from seeing Titanic, the voyage was a destination in and of itself. There were events and balls and fancy dinners and entertainment. And sometimes part of that entertainment was role-playing games. So a particularly popular popular game was called Murder. And it involved some sort of dramatic death scene at dinner where both actors and guests played parts in the murder plot to determine who the assassin was. Anthony would have seen this game and others like it played out over and over during his time on these cruises. And so as he watched, the wheels were turning in his head. But once World War II began, transatlantic cruises and events were mostly shut down. And so Anthony began working for the war effort in a munitions factory. He worked 11-hour days, six days a week, operating machinery. And while the work was grueling, I imagine that it was fairly repetitive, and so it did give him a lot of time to think about this idea he had to create his own murder mystery game. Now, when Pratt was fleshing out his murder mystery idea, he was influenced by a world of popular crime fiction. But to talk about crime fiction, we have to talk about Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie is the queen of crime fiction. Billions of copies of her books have been sold in more than 100 countries. Her books are only outsold by the Bible and the works of Shakespeare. And she's the best-selling novelist in history. Christie grew up in a well-to-do family in England, but wasn't allowed to go to school for many years. She attributes loneliness and boredom to actually pushing her to write. So she spent hours and hours dreaming up scenarios and making up stories. Now, fast forward to World War I, and as a young woman, she had volunteered as a nurse and worked as a pharmacist assistant. There, she learned about her most popular and potent weapon used in her stories, poison. Now, we know that Anthony Pratt was enormously influenced by Agatha Christie because his family confirms this, but also because the game itself does. In Christie's novels, she utilized a specific formula to create atmospheric and mysterious but solvable crimes. And those factors were a country house setting, a closed circle of suspects, and of course, a death. There are actually several Agatha Christie novels that show striking similarities to Clue, but Christie's 1942 novel, The Body in the Library, seems to have some especially strong resemblances to the game. The Body in the Library is about an aristocratic couple who discover, you guessed it, a body in their country house library. And several of the characters bear a striking resemblance to our Clue characters like Colonel Mustard and Miss Scarlet. So in this story, we have a country house setting, a closed circle of suspects who live in or near that country house, and a death, specifically by poisoning. Now, Agatha Christie utilized poison in about half of her stories. It seemed to be her favorite murder weapon, and given her time working in a hospital pharmacy during both world wars, she definitely knew how to wield a good poison. It's actually said that her favorite book review of all time was done by a pharmacology journal. The review confirmed that the way she described a poison being concocted and used in one of her stories was accurate. 
Now, in early versions of Clue, poison was one of the potential murder weapons. Drawing from his crime fiction favorites like Agatha Christie, Anthony Pratt continued to mull over that idea that was born out of a true interest in mysteries and crime fiction and motivated by the dreariness of wartime Britain. And so he began developing his concept and tweaking the characters and the rules. Now, this was quite the process, and although Pratt came up with the majority of the characters, and of course, the brilliant idea of naming them all after colors, only after making some final changes with the distributor did they come up with the following lineup. Colonel Mustard, a stiff, tweedy military man. Miss Scarlet, a stunning blonde bombshell. Mrs. Peacock, a tiara-wielding grand dame. Reverend Green, a plump, pious vicar also known as Mr. Green to American game players, Professor Plum, a pipe-smoking, absent-minded professor, Mrs. White, a matronly housekeeper, and Dr. Black, the perpetual, unfortunate victim of the game, also known as Mr. Body. The murder weapons also went through a bunch of iterations. As we know, poison was an option at some point, but early on, Pratt offered an axe, a cudgel, a bomb, a poker, and a hypodermic syringe as murder weapons. What a different game this could have been. But in the end, he of course settled on the knife, the rope, the pistol, which eventually became the revolver, a candlestick, a wrench, and a lead pipe. During this time that he was working through different versions of the game with different rules, weapons, and characters, he presented it in its many forms to friends to have them play. By doing this, they identified and worked through the kinks in the game. As I'm sure anyone who has done any kind of creative project will know, this stage of the process can be grueling and discouraging. Draft after draft and try after try, you always find something new to fix. Now, this part of the process is why pretty much every book has an acknowledgement section, so that creatives can thank their family and friends who pushed them to keep going when they wanted to give up. And since board games don't have acknowledgements, though apparently they should, we'll create one here. Anthony's daughter, Marcia has said that without his wife Elva's encouragement during this time, the game would not have been completed. She urged him on with that encouragement, but also with her incredible design skills. So in my opinion, the house is as much a character in Clue as Miss Scarlet and Mrs. Peacock. Today, there are so many versions of the game. The Big Bang Theory version is a floor plan of Leonard and Sheldon's apartment building. The Harry Potter version is a floor plan of Hogwarts. But the original board with its classic design and nostalgic flavor still draws us in, even in a world of video games and the internet. According to the recollections of Anthony and Elva's daughter, Marcia, her mother, Elva, had a fascination with houses. The fascination tended to lead the family to move a lot, but we lucky Clue players get to benefit from Elva's observant eye when it came to interesting and mysterious living spaces. The classic Clue board is the floor plan of a mansion called Tudor Close, with nine rooms around the edges and stairs in the center. The rooms include a hall, a lounge, dining room, kitchen, ballroom, conservatory, billiard room, library, and study. And before the final revisions, there was actually a gun room. And of course, there are several secret passages connecting the rooms where a murderer could slip away from a crime scene. Elva's incredibly simple but effective design gives players a bird's eye view of their crime location, but the clever way to move across the board and through the secret passages makes players integrated into the scene at the same time. And all within the walls of the same house, characters run amok from room to room trying to identify the murderer among them. 
Elvis' original sketches of the board and game artwork showcase the talents of a creative and skilled artist. She must have spent so many painstaking hours over drawings of the board, getting the measurements of the rooms and the square spaces between them just right. And it must have been so much work to put together the illustrations of the murder weapons. Eventually, Elva's immaculate game board and cards allowed Anthony Pratt to take his board game to an English toy manufacturer called Waddington's and play a sample game with an executive. The executive was impressed, but suggested a few modifications that would make Clue the version we know today. After some final revisions to the characters and murder weapons and a few tweaks to the rules, Clue was released in 1949. The working title of the game had been Murder, but through these revisions, the name became Cluedo, a mix between the words Clue and Ludo, the Latin word for I play. The game is still called Cluedo to British players today and Clue to American players. After its release, Clue has steadily remained a favorite around the world. It has sold more than 150 million sets in 40 countries, and despite the pull of digital entertainment, Clue continues to draw people in. And Clue has grown beyond the game board. People dress up as Clue characters for Halloween, and there's a very successful play based on the game. But I have to say that my favorite offshoot of Clue is the 1985 film starring Tim Curry. Over the years, the movie has become a cult favorite. The characters are fantastic and hilarious renditions of their board game descriptions, and everyone brings a level of entertainment and mystery to the table. I've watched this movie maybe a hundred times, and something I've loved most is to speculate which of the endings of the film actually happened. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, the film presents three different endings, leaving it up to the VHS or DVD audience to choose what actually happened. Or so it seemed. Because something I learned in the process of researching this game is that it's not so much that the filmmakers wanted to give several ending options to lead to the judgment of viewers, but that they wanted to present one ending to one audience and another ending to the next audience. So for any theater showing in 1985, a different ending of the movie was played. This meant that if your friend went to a different showing than you did, they most likely would have experienced a different conclusion to the mystery than you did. This blew my mind. I've been watching this movie for decades and I'm only now realizing this. But what a perfectly Clue-esque thing to do. This air of mystery is the perfect way to continue the legacy of such a wonderfully story-driven game. Anthony Pratt brilliantly distilled this concept. But also, the brilliant women, Agatha Christie and Elva Pratt, helped bring this idea to life. And eventually, Anthony and Elva's daughter, Marcia, helped to share this origin story with the world. So often, women are involved when brilliant ideas are born and carried out into the world. And just as often, women are the keepers of the stories behind these amazing events. And to help fill in the gaps where women haven't been written into history, even though they were involved, it's so important that they're recognized for their contributions as well. And now, it's time for a segment I call The Stacks. Doing research is one of my favorite things to do. The more you learn, the more the puzzle pieces of the world start to come together. So I want to take you into the stacks of the library with me to share favorites of the books, documentaries, movies, interviews that I think you would enjoy if you want to learn more about this topic. My favorite source that I read about Clue was The Story of Cluedo by Jonathan Foster. Foster is an avid Clue lover and was motivated to write the book because of the gaping lack of information out there about the game. 
I found it to be a quick and fun read that pretty efficiently gives an entertaining account of the origin of the game, its influences, the players involved in its release, and its legacy. As I mentioned earlier, Agatha Christie's The Body in the Library shows some pretty striking similarities to the game and is a really entertaining read. And of course, I cannot recommend watching the 1985 Clue movie enough. It's both mysterious and funny, and you can decide for yourself which ending you think is best. Thanks so much for listening. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast and connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Woman in Time. And we'll see you next time on Broadly Underestimated.